Today we're going to be in Exodus 20 and we're talking about the Tenth Commandment, coveting. And the hula hoop was a fad. And we're going to talk about a couple of fads. Now, in the 1960s, the fads were platform shoes, tie-dye shirts, bell-bottom pants. I don't remember that, but that's the 60s. 70s, lava lamps, CB radios, 8-track tape players, and pet rocks. Would anyone in here admit to owning a pet rock? I'd like to know, because I'd like to know how really not smart that is. Okay, uh, somebody bought a pet rock back in the day. Somebody was brilliant enough to say, you know what, if I box a rock, somebody might buy that, and they did. It was just amazing. In the 80s, it was Atari, kind of the, uh, the, the genesis of gaming. Rubik's Cubes, Chia Pets, if you don't know what these are, you should look them up. And Cabbage Patch Dolls, people literally got in fights at the stores over Cabbage Patch Dolls. Amazing. In the 90s, they fought over Tick Only Elmo's. That was the next thing. And he giggled. Remember that? <laughs> I hated those things. Uh, Furbies, Beanie Babies, uh, and What Would Jesus Do bracelets. Those were everywhere. In the 2000s, energy drinks, Bratz dolls, I don't even know what that is. Uh, Crocs, they're back. And Snuggies, they're never coming back. Okay, um, 2010s, Angry Birds, Fifty Shades of Grey, fidget spinners. Uh, Satan was in hell and he said, hey, I ought to invent something. And it was a fidget spinner. I think that's it. And then in the 20s, uh, it's emojis, joggers, not the people, but the pants. And chunky shoes. Now... Fads are things that we see and we say to ourselves, hey, I, I'd like one of those. Coveting is different than that. And so let's look at the verse and then we'll talk about it. Tenth commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant. His, ac his ox, sorry, or his ox, actually. Uh, or his donkey. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor. If Dr. Seuss had written this verse... You must not want your neighbor's house. You must not want your neighbor's spouse. Their servant or their many flocks, their donkey or their favorite ox. You must not want their looks or bling. You must not want their anything. That's the verse. And so, when God says, don't want other people's stuff, what He is saying is, it, this coveting is different than just wanting something. It's wanting something so badly that you're willing to break a rule to get it. With kids, covetousness, and you don't have to teach a kid to covet. Uh, go into any two-year-old room, and if, if there are more than one two-year-old there, they're fighting over something because they want what the other person has. In fact, if you want a kid to want something, just start playing with it, and then they'll want it. Covetousness is sort of in our DNA. In kids, it's annoying. In adults, it's a sin. And the Tenth Commandment is about covetousness. You see uh, in Scripture lots of examples of people who coveted. Adam and Eve, they're, they're tempted. And the temptation was, hey, if you eat this fruit, then you can be like God. And so they thought that was a good idea. They coveted being like God, and therefore they got in trouble for eating the forbidden fruit. Cain and Abel, first two uh, siblings. And uh, Abel was, um, was affirmed by God for his sacrifice, and Cain wasn't. And Cain was jealous of that affirmation from God, and he killed his brother. By the way, on all of these things, you're going to see none of them ended up well. 
Uh, you had Jacob, he had ten sons. And then he has a favorite son whose name was Joseph, of course. And uh, um, he gives him a coat of many colors and the brothers are jealous of their father's affection. And so they sell their brother into slavery. King Saul was jealous of David's popularity. And he basically loses his mind and his kingdom. David covets Uriah's wife. Her name is Bathsheba. He calls her into his palace. He has an affair. He kills Uriah so he can have her as his own. These never end well. Judas, one of Jesus' disciples. As best I can tell, he coveted maybe money. And so he sold Jesus down the river for some, some coin. And then you have the Pharisees, and they coveted Jesus' popularity, and they, uh, they came up with some bogus charges, and they uh, end up eventually crucifying Him. None of these end well. And the Tenth Commandment is sort of the other side of the coin of the First Commandment. If you'll remember, the First Commandment was, you shall have no other gods before Me. That's the First Commandment. Well, when we start to covet things, we put things kind of on a pedestal. In fact, the Bible talks about it as adult, uh, idolatry. You may be sure that no one who is immoral, indecent, or greedy, for greed is a form of idolatry, will ever receive a share in the kingdom of God. Jesus put it this way. No one can serve two masters. You either hate one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so this is a very serious sort of a, a heart issue. And so the deal is, our God is whatever our heart clings to. So let's talk about the basics of covetousness or of coveting. The first thing is, it is the wrong focus. All right, Elise just walked in. Elise is my 15-year-old daughter. Wave at everybody. Elise is learning to drive. And so as her dad, I'm in the passenger seat and Elise is driving. And the other day we were having a conversation on the way to school. And she, she had been driving the other day and a truck had passed her on the interstate. Uh, that her mother was driving with her that day. That, that day. And we talked about uh, when you're passing a truck on the interstate, when it's raining, it, it, it really is it's a unique situation. Because the truck has spray, and if it's raining hard, it's, or even if it's not, uh, the spray comes up, and even though they have mud flaps, that spray gets uh, on your car, and it's kind of blowing right at you, and it, it's very intimidating. If you've not ever done it before, it's super intimidating. And I learned to drive. My daddy was a truck driver, and so he experienced this a lot. And so he told me what to do. This is what my daddy told me to do. If you've got other instruction, that's okay. I'm just going to tell you what my daddy said to me. He said, you can't focus on the truck. Because if you focus on the truck, you drift into the truck. You focus on the white line on the left. If you stay on the white line on the left, you're trusting that the truck is going to stay in his lane. You can glance, but you can't focus. You have to maintain the right focus. And I've been driving for a lot of years and never had a wreck, so maybe that's the way to do it. But here's the thing about coveting. Here's the definition. It is an inordinate desire to possess what belongs to another person. It's wanting something so badly you're willing to break a rule to get it. That's what coveting looks like. Um, so let's talk about what it's not. If you go to the restaurant after, uh, after church today and you're walking along and a guy um, uh, has a, a tray with his food on it and there are uh, chicken strips on a hot dog bun with cheese over top of it, you all know what that's called? 
A bird dog. That's right. It's called a bird dog. I didn't know that till I learned that about two weeks ago. It's a bird dog. And, and the guy walks by with a tray with a bird dog on it. And you say to yourself, hey, I've never had one of those. I want one of those. And you go and order it. That's not coveting. But if you watch the guy and he puts his tray down and he goes and washes his hands and you take his bird dog, that is coveting. There's a big difference in wanting something and wanting it to the extent that you're willing to break a rule to get it. So in this particular uh, commandment, God is saying, all right, so, so there's a commandment about stealing, don't steal. This is saying, and don't even think about it. And, and you've heard, you know, there's a commandment, don't commit adultery. And, and this commandment is basically saying, and don't even think about it. Not only don't do it, don't have the action, but don't have the thoughts. Like, wipe that thought out of your mind. Because this is what happens. Temptation comes for our own desire, which entices us and drags us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Here's the truth. Our actions are children of our thoughts. If I dwell upon something, then I end up doing it. Every thief that's ever stolen anything has thought about it. Now, it may be a spur-of-the-moment thinking or action, but they've thought about it. If I was in this situation, would I take that? And the answer to them is yes. And so, if they see something and uh, there's a purse and it's just laying there, they'll, you know, they'll take it or they'll take stuff. They, they think about it. It's a thought first. It's as if our, our spirits, our, our, our minds are fertile soil and, and Satan plants these seeds into our minds of temptation. Everyone who's ever committed adultery did it in their mind first. You don't fall into that. You you think about it. You plan it. It is is something that happens because we've thought about it. Our actions are the children of our thoughts. So, if you want to have, like, uh, tomorrow. uh, What what am I going to do tomorrow? Well, you plan it out. You think about it. If you want to be very productive, you say, okay, first thing I'm going to do is this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and you plan your day. You think about your day before you actually act on your day. Well, covetousness is saying, okay, if I'm ever in that situation, this is what I'm going to do. The Bible talks about this a lot. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We're not going to think about these things. See, actions are obvious. When we sin by act, it's obvious. This is more more subtle when when God is saying, hey, don't think about these things, because this is what He knows. If I think about it too much, I end up doing it. If I think about how to, to cheat, if I think about how to steal, if I think about uh, uh, how, if I dwell on lust, then I end up doing what I'm thinking about. It's just how it works. It's just how it works. Let me tell you about the words. The Greek word for covet is epithumia. Epi means over. Thumia means passion. So it's like an abundance of passion, overpassion. Um, the Hebrew word is chamad. Say it with me, chamad. If you say it right, the person in front of you should have spit on the back of their head. Chamad, chamad. Now, chamad is almost like commode, but not quite. Uh, chamad means um, I want it and I'm willing to break a rule. That's what covetousness is. I'm, I want it so badly that I'll break a rule to get it. 
It's the word that was used when, when Eve looked at the fruits in the Garden of Eden. And it says this, it says, she saw that it was pleasing to the eye and chamad to eat. It was desirable to eat. You see it in Scripture. Now, these words aren't always negative. Uh, you, you, might, um, you, you might have chamad to something good. You could have a passion for something good. Uh, look at this verse. Paul said, now eagerly desire, epithemia, the greater gifts. Well, the greater gifts, was, and he's talking about, is love. Uh, there are lots of gifts. You can speak in tongues, or you can be a prophet, or you can do this, you can do that. But he's saying, hey, the greatest gift is to love your neighbor. So seek uh, epithemia, have a passion, have an overpassion for doing the right thing, for loving each other. So guys, maybe you, you see a movie or you hear a song. Sometimes I'm driving and I'll hear a song and I'll think, oh man, that reminds me of my wife. I, I mean, I, I, I think so much of her and I, really, I need to do something. I, I'm, I'm epithemia, I, I have a passion, I, I want to do something for her to show her my love. And so I'll, I'll go home and I'll make dinner. Or I'll vacuum, or uh, I'll. She doesn't really want me doing the laundry. Uh, but I'll, uh, uh, those two things. Uh, uh, I'll make dinner, I'll vacuum, right? Uh, ladies, may, maybe you, you're, you're thinking, it's like, oh, I, you, you hear, you know, some, somebody having a, a struggle in their marriage, and you're thinking, man, I, I love my husband, I want to show him. And so uh, you, you go home, and, and you want to epithemia, you want to show him you have a desire. And so you make dinner, uh, you do whatever we do. Uh, except you do it all the time. We just say every once in a while, I think we ought to do it. And, and so there's, it can be a positive thing. But when he's talking about covetousness, he's saying you want something that you, that's not yours so badly you're willing to break a rule. The first thing is, it's the wrong focus. The focus is on the thing. The second, it's kind of like it, is it diminishes relationships. Let me show you this verse. The way the Hebrew is written, your neighbor is in there seven times. It really should read like this. Uh, in the English, we condense it because we don't talk like this. But the Hebrew, this is how it would be said. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife. You must not covet your neighbor's male servant or your neighbor's female servant or your neighbor's ox or your neighbor's donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. As if you didn't get it, the focus is on your neighbor. Because when we covet, we say, I don't really care who owns that. I care about that. I care about the thing more than the person who owns the thing. I want the thing so badly that I am willing to, to defeat them in order to get it. It, it happens in, in adultery a lot of times. There, there's a, a person to be possessed, and uh, a guy will see that as a challenge. Or it happens in business. I'm going to crush my opponents. I'm not going to play fair. I'm going to cheat. I covet the business so much that I'm willing to break a rule to get it. That's what covetousness is. Somebody one time said, and I think it's brilliant, he said, love people and use things. And don't do it the other way around. See, too often we use things, I mean, we, we, we love things and we use people. Look, look at what it says in Romans 
Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. And then in this brilliant stroke, this is a guy named Paul. He writes to this. Uh, these are very sophisticated believers in Rome. And he's writing this. And he sums up all the law in this next sentence. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. All the Ten Commandments that we've been talking about, all you have to do to fulfill those is love your neighbor. Because if you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from your neighbor. Um, I was listening to a radio show the other day, and they were talking about um, there was a, a pump at one of the gas stations, and the pump, it, it, the gas was supposed to be three ninety five or something, but it was registering at thirty nine point five cents. So the decimal point was off. It was supposed to cost three ninety five. It was costing thirty nine cents. And the guy fills up his tank. And he notices it was not nearly enough. And he, so he looks to see if he can get more gas in there. And, it, and so he walks in and he tells the guy, You're, the numbers are off on, on this. I, I got a lot of gas and it only charged me you know, $12 or something. And, and so uh, obviously it's off. And the guy goes out and he looks at the pump. And it had been that way for four hours. One guy after four hours... Now, that doesn't mean it was constantly in use, but it's likely somebody had seen it before. So they're talking about it. These, these commentators on, on the radio, they're talking about this scenario. If that, was, if that happened to you, what would you do? And one of the guys, it was so disappointing. He said, that happened to me one time. And I went and got my wife's car and brought it back. And I called my buddy and told him, hey, that pump is messed up. You ought to go get gas on pump 7 down at the Sphinx or whatever it was. And, I, and, and so they were talking about the, the moral of it, the, the morality of it. He goes, well, that was just sticking it to the man. Well, what man? Somebody owns that? And just because some conglomerate owns it, that, that, that means we could just throw uh, morality to the, to the wind. When we're willing to cheat somebody, it's never the right thing to do. It's just not right. Here's, here's why loving people... Let me, let, me, let me start over. The reason loving things is easier than loving people is because loving people is risky. People are messy. P people have history. People have problems. Not everybody thinks like us. Not everybody acts like us. People are messy. If you don't believe it, drive. Get in your car. You ever meet anybody who doesn't use their blinker? Obviously, they are not saved. I mean, good grief. It's horrible. You ever met anybody that uh, 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 gets up on you too close? I had a guy uh, uh, the other day. I, I prayed. I, I know it's wrong. Uh, is it wrong to pray for a flat tire for somebody else? Uh, it's like, it would be great if he ran over a nail right now. Uh, so, just people are messy. It's hard to love people, it's easy to love things. I love a thing. I love a car. My car's probably not going to let me down much, you know. My, you know, if I if I put oil in it and uh, I put gas in it and I uh, keep the tires aired up, I mean, my car is going to function. There's no, there's no. If I love the thing, it's not going to let me down very much. People let you down. And that's why people. That's why we get it screwed up. We 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 get it exactly backwards. We love stuff and not people. Which brings me to the, the third thing. 
it misunderstands success. See, in our, in our country, success is defined as whoever has the biggest pile of stuff. Whatever that stuff might be. It could be the biggest house. It could be the newest car. It could be the nicest phone. There are ways we can tell. It's, it's the suit that you wear or the purse that you carry. It's, it's stuff. We look at stuff. And we say that person is successful based on their stuff. And, and it's, it's the wrong, wrong emphasis. This is a guy, his name is um, Sam Polk. Right out of, I believe he went to Columbia, but right out of college, he's, he goes to Wall Street. He starts being a trader on Wall Street. Within eight years, he was making uh, million-dollar bonuses every year. In his eighth year, he made a $3.6 million bonus. And he quits because that wasn't enough. I know. I mean, anything over 3.5, I'm happy with. Uh, so, uh, 3.6 wasn't enough. And he quits. And this is what he says. I can't, he got mad, and then he quit, and then he, and then he says this. I came to realize I had been using money as this thing that would quell all my fears. I had this belief that maybe someday I'd have enough money and I would feel successful. But one of the things I learned on Wall Street was no matter how much money I made, the money was, gonna never, was never going to make it happen for me. He, he, he resigns. And then he starts a non-profit. It's called grocery ships what he had noted now he starts to love people rather than things he noted that people in uh, underprivileged areas oftentimes were obese because they weren't getting a good diet and so he starts this organization which provides fruits and vegetables to the underprivileged so that their diet might be um, uh, more healthy for them see uh, thousands of years ago there was a guy named solomon and he wrote this Whoever loves money never has enough. And by the way, he had a lot of money. You think Elon Musk is rich? Solomon had more money than anybody ever. It is amazing how much money he had. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And that has proven to be true over and over again. 72% of Americans, 72% of Americans worry, feel stressed over their finances. Most marriages break up, at least in part, over financial issues. It is destroying folks. And our government certainly isn't helping us. $30 trillion in debt? Are you kidding me? That's unsustainable. That makes no sense. And so, if we're judged by our pile of stuff only, then we'll never have a big enough pile of stuff. And Jesus, as he always does, raises the bar. I love the way Jesus teaches. Beginning next week, Mother's Day, beginning next week, we're going to start a series on the parables. Parables are stories that Jesus told. It's kind of earthly stories with a heavenly purpose. They, they are amazing. Some of them are complex. We're going to talk about them. But he, he tells these little stories to, to sort of illustrate. Hey, it's like this. So Jesus, is, let me set this up for you. This is found in Luke 12. Jesus is telling this story. No, he, he's teaching his, his disciples. And in the midst of this, teaching his disciples, this guy asks him a question, kind of a random question. Um, 
And the question goes like this. Oop. Well, dude, someone in, this happens every second service. I don't know why it happens at second service. Uh, could you all uh, pray about this? Uh, it's, it, it must be you. Uh, so uh, the technology goes crazy on me. Someone in the crowd says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to do a, divide the inheritance with me. People go nuts when it comes to money. You don't believe it? Go find a lawyer who deals with inheritance stuff. He, he'll tell you stories. He'll tell you stories about kids who, when their parents get um, unable to, their, their mental faculties aren't great, they'll manipulate their parents in order to get their money. You, you, he'll tell you stories about siblings who fight over the inheritance, who sue one another over the inheritance. It happens all the time. Show of hands. How many of you think if you won a $450 million lottery that you would have cousins that you never knew about? How many? I know I would. I'm from Kentucky. Uh, I've already got cousins. I don't know who they are. If I won $450 million, I'd set, a DNA, I'd set up a DNA station at my house, you know, just to make sure. Um, but these people come out of the woodwork. And so this guy kind of randomly says, hey, Rabbi, uh, Jesus is talking about something else, and he interrupts. Hey, Rabbi, uh, could you tell my brother, who's probably the older brother, to divide the inheritance more equitably, uh, it's probably land, and Jesus' response is this. <laughs> um, he says man here, but really Jesus would have said, dude, dude, who appointed me as a judge or an arbiter between you? Now, to the guy's defense, it seems a little rude to ask a question when Jesus is teaching on something else. But, rabbis had the right, they, they kind of had the obligation to make judgments like this. And so, if the guy had been sharp, he would have said, well, you're a rabbi. I'm asking you because you have the right to do this. And Jesus answers the question. He said to them, watch out. Anytime you see Jesus and there's an exclamation point after something he says, it must be really important. This is really important, what he says next. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he tells a story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Time out just for a second. In the first service, I had a bunch of dolts. And nobody knew this. But I know you're going to know this. Do you remember... The song, eat, drink, and be merry. Remember that? It was a commercial. Does anybody remember that? <laughs> Where have you people been? Uh, uh, in the 60s, I know that's probably not anybody in here. Um, in the 60s, Dairy Queen had a slogan, had a song, eat, drink, and be merry. And you can look it up and Vlad confirmed that. I said it to the first service and they looked at me like I was a <laughs> goof. Uh, but it's true. Anyway. It has nothing to do with the sermon. All right, let's go on. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? 
This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. See, Jesus was concerned with their relationship. That, that's why he said, it, life doesn't consist of the, the, the pile of stuff that you have. It, it doesn't consist of that. Don't fight with your brother over stuff. It, it, it's, it's foolhardy. See, here's what Jesus is really saying. Possessions don't give life, but they can sure suck the life out of you. If you don't think that's true, anybody in this room who's ever been just crushed by the weight of debt, I know sometimes you get in debt because there's a, a medical issues and that kind of thing, but sometimes we just aren't wise. And Rick Warren, I think, says it best when he says, sometimes we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. I think it's true. And it can be, the weight of debt can just crush people. I knew a girl one time, she graduated from college with $110,000 in debt with a theater degree. I don't know what you do with a theater degree to earn $110,000 extra to pay off a debt plus interest. It, it can be crushing to people. So when our focus is on stuff, we lose our minds. And this story ends kind of abruptly. God says, hey, your life is going to be... I think if it had gone on, I don't mean to put words in Jesus' mouth, but I think if it had gone on, what it would have said is, his barns were bigger, and now his stuff barely fit, or fit into his barns easily, and he determined in his heart, well, I need more stuff to fill up my barns. At which point, he buys more land and he harvests more grain. And then when these new bigger barns are filled, you know what's next? He has to build bigger barns because it is this vicious cycle. It's this whirlpool of dissatisfaction. I'm never content. Which is, by the way, the antidote. To be content. 60 Minutes and Vanity Fair did a survey. They were trying to figure out... a. a the heartbeat of Americans and greed. They asked some interesting questions. <laughs> Get this one. How many times through the buffet line in a restaurant is too many? It's a great question. How many times is too many? I'm not going to ask any of you because I'm afraid of what you'd say. 57% um, of Americans said four or more. Who'd they ask? The Clemson football team? I mean, uh, who, uh, sumo wrestlers? I mean, who does that? Four or more. Several of them said it's limitless. Just, you just keep going back. I mean, what do they do? Pitch a tent? I, I don't understand it. An another question. If you see an older woman, I'm sorry, if you see an older man with an attractive younger woman, what immediately comes to mind? 40% said she is with him for his money. Our minds go to he, she's a gold digger. Alright, this one's shocking. The question is, what does it take for people to, to be highly successful? What does it take for people to be highly successful? 50% of Americans said greed. It takes unadulterated greed to be highly successful. Jesus said this, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth, 
your pile of stuff, where moths eat and rust destroys, thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Covetousness is basically saying to God, what you've provided for me isn't good enough. I'm a dad with four daughters. There have been many, many, many times I would have liked to have given them more. I wish I could have given them more. But I always gave them and give them the best I can. Miriam and I, we give them the best they, that we can. And it, if you're a parent, you know how this feels. It, it is soul-crushing when your child acts like what you've given them isn't enough. It's not good enough. When you've tried to do your best and it's not enough. When we covet something that God has given somebody else, what we're saying is, God, it's just not enough. You've not been good enough. I think that's why it's such a it, it makes the top ten. Because it, it is a sin of attitude. When you go to Thanksgiving dinner, you think about, okay, what am I going to get? I'm going to get turkey. I'm going to get stuffing. Brussels sprouts are for losers. Uh, asparagus. Nobody even knows what that cranberry stuff is. I'm not going to do that. Old people eat that. I'm not eating that. We strategize. Your plate's as big as this tabletop. Put stuff on there, right? And you eat. And the Bible talks about this a lot. It talks about they, they ate and were satisfied. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great expression in Scripture. Now, let's say you, you eat until you're satisfied, but there's more. There's some left. They're leftovers. And you think, well, maybe I'll get a little bit more. And you put a little bit more. And here's the thing about Thanksgiving dinner. You can't put a little bit more of one thing. That's stupid. So, you put more turkey and more mashed potatoes and more this and more that. And now you kind of have a second plate, maybe not as big as the first plate, and you eat and eat and eat. And not only are you satisfied, you blew past satisfied. Blowing past satisfied is you're stuffed. And covetousness is this, always get more, 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 always take, 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 take. And God wants us to be content. Content. Not more, 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 but I'm going to be satisfied. I want to end with a couple of verses. Devotion to God is, in fact, a way for people to be very rich, but only if it makes them satisfied. Devotion to God. Remember we talked about a minute ago, temptation leads to sin. Devotion to God leads to satisfaction. I don't have to have what everybody else has. I don't have to have a hula hoop. I don't have to have this. I don't have to have that to feel satisfied. I have a relationship with God, and for me, that is enough. And what my Father chooses to provide for me is 
enough for me. When we came into this world, we brought nothing. And when we die, we take nothing. So, if we have food and clothes, we will be satisfied with that. The secret of contentment is to be satisfied with what we have. So the question is, am I going to be a person who covets or am I going to be a person who's content? See, I take every thought captive. I choose what I dwell on. That's the whole whole point of the 10th commandment. You choose what you dwell upon. Am I going to dwell upon what I don't have or what I do have? Am I going to fret over what I don't have or am I going to be thankful for what I do have? The Tenth Commandment is saying, your good Father has given you good gifts for which you should be thankful. You don't have to have everything else. Thank you, Lord, for this message. Thank you that you teach us and you guide us and you show us what we need to do. Help us to follow you closely in all things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.